Hey guys, Bill here. Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app. And before we get into today's episode, as always, I want to remind you guys to make sure you're staying up to date on all of the fantasy football news, injury reports, all that good stuff with ESPN's fantasy experts, Matthew Berry, Field Yates, Stefania Bell, Mike Clay, and Daniel Dopp on the fantasy-focused football podcast. Tons of good information and fun there on the show. Download and subscribe to the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast, or if you have not already, this very Bill Barnwell show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition and right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a jets pizza location near you again try jet signature eight corner pizza and get five dollars off with code eight save that's number eight s-a-v-e jets pizza better because it has to be now here's the show all right, joining me now to start the show today, as promised, a regular contributor to the Bill Barnwell Show covering the New Orleans Saints, doing excellent work for us at ESPN. It's Mike Triplett. Mike, how are you? Doing great. Intro like that. Buttering <laughs> me up. Well, you mean you've been covering the Saints for us for a long time. You're always the first person I go to when I want to find out more about the Saints. And obviously, uh, I wanted to have you on today because there's a lot to talk about with the Saints. They've been a very... Yeah. Uh, active They're always team. relevant, that's for sure. <laughs> always relevant, but I feel like even by Saints standards, this has been a busy <laughs> seven-day period. When you can sign uh, your starting linebacker to like a nine million dollar a year deal, and it gets wow. like you know it gets buried underneath like several other pieces of news, um, you know you're you're active. You have a lot of stuff to talk about. So I want to start with the biggest news. Obviously, the Saints uh, opened their season with the division victory over the Bucks. A, a good performance, I think, by, by all accounts and played well. The one downside was they saw Michael Thomas, star wide receiver, go down with an ankle injury. Uh, they were optimistic, seemingly at first, about Thomas being able to come back quickly, maybe missing a week or so. Now it seems like he's going to miss a longer period of time. So, Mike, what are you hearing about the Michael Thomas injury? Well, you know, he wants to beat that timetable and, and he's a guy who's played through a broken hand before um, and, and doesn't want to miss any time and, and certainly has that kind of personality. So this will come down to if it was just a pain threshold issue, I think we'd see him back really soon. Mm -hmm. If there's concerns about, you know, further injury, uh, maybe they'll, they'll have to, you know, lock him down somewhere and not let him, uh, not let him in the stadium. But uh um, you know, so far we keep waiting to see if they're going to place him on injured reserve, which is now only a three week designation. If they don't do that, there's optimism. It won't last long, but even if they do that, you know, this is not supposed to be an injury that's supposed to linger all year long. Mm -hmm. Um, whatever they do, they got to make sure he's ready for the long haul of the season because they have Super Bowl aspirations and he's probably the most important player on the team. Maybe even more important than Drew Brees, to be honest with the backup quarterbacks they have. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a fair uh, point to raise i mean such a unique player you know such a valuable player for this offense and you look at the uh the schedule over the next few weeks i mean they do play the packers at at home in week three you figure thomas probably misses that game but it's you know before the bye it, it's at vegas 
hosting the Packers, at the Lions, hosting the Chargers. It's not the stiffest competition, really, in the first half of the season. Really, the, the tougher games in their schedule um, seem to mostly pop up over the second half of the campaign. So do you think there's a chance just to err on the side of caution? Maybe they keep him out to the week six bye, or you think it's just going to be you know, a kind of a, a thing where the moment he's ready to come back, they push him back into the lineup? Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to rely on some medical opinions here because Michael Thomas is going to tell them he can go, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, yeah, I mean, look, they're probably going to be favored in every one of those games, even if mm-hmm. Michael Thomas doesn't play, uh, even against the Packers on, on Sunday Night Football. Uh, although the, the shame in that is they'll be coming off a, a short week playing Monday night uh, mm-hmm. across the country in Vegas. So that'll be a challenging game. But uh, but yeah, they'll probably be favored without Michael Thomas. So they, they've got to think long term with this. It's, it's, it's not like they have to win every single one of these games individually to make the playoffs this year. Yeah, I think that's that's the, the fair thing here. And I've seen, I tweeted about this, Odell Beckham is a guy who comes to mind. There's a guy who did brush back from a high ankle sprain and then like, you know, you don't want to say every, all the repercussions of what's happened to Odell Beckham over the past three years with that ankle sprain, but he did re-injure, oh, the, he did re-injure the ankle. Wait, wait, wait did not induce any panic in the, uh, <laughs> in the Saints fan base. Great I, comparison. Thanks you know, you know, I mean, like, I, I feel like it's, just, it, it's smart to err on the side of caution with these injuries. But obviously, like you said, Michael Thomas is going to want to come back uh, as quickly as he possibly can. Now, nobody was throwing the football more frequently last year than Michael Thomas. And it wasn't close. I mean, he was by a significant margin, the most targeted receiver in all of football. There's a lot of targets in this offense now to go around while Thomas is out. So I guess this is a three-part question. Sorry. I know that's not the easiest yeah. question to answer, but number all one, right. I'll take notes. You, let's go one at a time. Actually. Number one, who do you think replaces Michael Thomas in the lineup? I think everybody takes a little chip and it's funny because I've still got fantasy football fresh on the brain after we all Mm -hmm. just did fantasy football drafts and everything. I was surprised how the fantasy community was so down on both Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook, or or at least meh on those guys. Mm -hmm. But the reason was there's just a target ceiling on them. I mean, there's only so many passes to go around. Well, now Emmanuel Sanders can can be like a number one receiver and Jared Cook can be like a number one tight end. I, mm-hmm. I think we'll see a little more volume for both of them. And I love the, the Sanders signing this year, by the way. I think he's exactly what this offense has needed that, that you know, ever since they had Lance Moore and, and Willie Sneed, that middle of the mm-hmm. field guy, uh, good route runner, exactly the kind of passes that, that Drew Brees likes to throw. So those, those are the first two. Uh, Kamara is a guy who could catch 100 passes in a season. Um, he had 81 last year despite missing two games, so they throw to him a lot. And then I already expected a little bump for, for Traquan Smith and Deontay mm-hmm. Harris, their, their return specialist, who they want to get more involved on, you know, jet sweeps and, and screen passes and stuff. Um, maybe Benny Fowler is active this week, maybe gets a couple of looks. Uh, Taysom Hill, obviously. So I, I just think you add one to two targets to, to every one of those guys. Mm-hmm. So that was actually also my second question. So you answered number one and number two at the same time, which is why <laughs> All right. fresh, not only do you answer the question, you can anticipate the next question. But the third <laughs> question I have for you is this. Do you think without Michael Thomas, let's say he misses a month, do you think the Saints change their style on offense at all? Not necessarily because – you know, the the rest of the personnel fits. I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to now become a let's throw it downfield, uh, uh, you know, to our deep threats team. 
Um, like I said, uh, we, we have to make a bold prediction every week. And mine for this game was that Sanders and, and Camaro will both have a hundred receiving yards. I don't necessarily <laughs> believe they'll hit those numbers, but I mean, that's what I expect. I expect short intermediate passes, opportunities for yards after the catch. Um, and, and that's what you get with Sanders. It's what you get with Camaro. It's what you get with Deontay Harris. It's what you get with Jared cook. And, and it's the kind of passes that, that, Drew Brees throws and, and Sean Payton schemes. Now, I do think they would love to rely on the run. We've seen that since the beginning of 2017. I mean, this is not a team that throws for over 5,000 yards anymore. It's a team that throws for 4,000 yards and, and wants to be a top 10 rushing off. And so that'll continue to be the case. Uh, we, we saw a heavy dose of Latavius Murray running the ball early last week, and I think that will continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously an offense that has a great offensive line. Um, you know, they need to run the football effectively they can certainly do so. And one of the people who you would figure play a role in that running game, not just the running backs, but also Taysom Hill, whose offense, whose role in the offensive yeah. week one was interesting. I mean, obviously he came out in the first series, had a big play, um, you know, popped up here and there. He played 25% of the offensive snaps, which is more than he was playing early in the season in 2019, but not quite as much as he played kind of later in the year when he was approaching almost half of the yeah. offensive snaps. So Obviously, he'll sign a lucrative one-year extension over the offseason, but do you expect that sort of 25% rate to be about what he, uh, about how much he plays week in and week out, or do you think it's going to fluctuate from week to week? In some weeks, it might be 10, some weeks, it might be 50, but the average yeah. might be 25. How do you think Taysom Hill's role is going to look in this offense over the rest of the season? It may fluctuate game plan to game plan, but it, it definitely higher than looking at last year as a whole, because what you have to remember is, when Drew Brees got injured last year in week two and, and then missed the next five games, Taysom Hill became the backup quarterback that they had to protect in, in a, you know, behind the glass and, and, and couldn't use. And they had to put some of that stuff away. And then when, when Brees came back uh, and Taysom Hill was the number three quarterback again, they were able to use him a lot more on offense and, and add that to the success they had. I mean, he had his best game as a pro in the playoff loss to Minnesota last year when he had 50 passing yards and, um, 50 rushing yards and uh, two catches uh, for 25 yards in the touchdown. Um, so they're going to continue to do that absolutely all year long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, after the game, I, I don't want to be critical of Drew Brees because Drew Brees, you know, is very good at football. But after the game, both Drew Brees and Sean Payton said they had been awful <laughs> in their season debut. Now, sure, I, I think – a lot of quarterbacks and a lot of head coaches would be happy with what those two guys said was awful in terms of how they played in week one. Yeah. But what did you think of Breeze's performance? Is there anything to be worried about after what yeah. we saw for him in week one? Well, it's, uh, that's a two-part answer. Okay. Anything to be worried about, the jury has to still be out. I mean, uh, but yes, you, your eyes didn't deceive you. That was a weird performance from Breeze. And, and you know, uh, you know, it already led people to be like, uh-oh, you know, are we seeing, you know, the decline of Peyton Manning and, and Drew Brees now? Because it, it looked that weird. He was late on throws. He was he was pulling back and checking down on throws. He was off target on throws, which you never see from him, even short throws. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just strange. But worried is too strong because he looked really good all preseason. I mean, it was an mm-hmm. abbreviated preseason, but – if anything, we were noting that his arm looked a little stronger, and that's what he worked on with Tom House all offseason was adding uh, a little to his deep ball. 
Um, so I had no reason to expect that, boy, we're seeing, we're seeing a drop off in Drew Brees. And, I, you know, so I think a lot of it might have just had with the way Peyton talked and with the way Brees talked and just, just the way the game looked, I feel like they were seeing things they did not expect from mm-hmm. Tampa Bay's defense. I mean, I, a week one thing and, and they said, you know, they were getting more looks um, in zone pressures and stuff that they didn't necessarily expect from Tampa Bay and that you got to be ready for, for teams to throw new things at you and stuff. So I think I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see, you know, uh, uh, another great performance from, from Breeze in week two. And that was just a blip on the radar, but obviously, you know, he's under the microscope now to make sure that we're not seeing the, you know, a big change in, in his performance. I mean, the thing obviously with Breeze though, is always, uh, a lot of people are talking about how he doesn't have the deep ball anymore as a negative. Mm-hmm. I think it just adds to his reputation that you took that away from him when he turned 40 years old. Mm-hmm. And yet the last two years, he still had the two highest pass ratings of his career, the two highest completion percentages in NFL history. He's just a guy who, you know, once he recognizes what he can't do, he'll find another way to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the strange thing about this is that it's not as if, he couldn't throw the deep ball because his one really deep pass was yeah, the completion Jared Cook was a perfect throw. So it's like, you know, it's not as if, yeah. if, he'd, if he'd hung that well, pass that up. probably and, called a lot of nerves too. It was like, oh, okay. So there's something else. It's not that he can't throw the ball. He's just, and, and here's the other thing. He didn't have to force. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, they want, they were up by like 10 points almost that entire game. And, and if they didn't like uh, just, you know, settle for going out of bounds in the last uh, play of the game, they'd mm-hmm. had 41 points and mm-hmm. they won the turnover battle three, nothing. There was never a time in that game where you're like, man, they need to take more chances because right. they were just in control of it the whole time. So. Right. Which is why, yeah. So that's why I was saying, you know, for awful, they're awful is a lot yeah. of teams pretty good. <laughs> So, yeah, I think yeah. certainly, you know, something to watch, but not something I would be, you know, the, the sky isn't falling when it comes to Drew Brees, uh, based on what we saw from him in week one. Uh, business-wise, I mean, the Saints did get some business done heading into the season. Right before the season started, they go out and they sign Alvin Kamara. And this whole sort of week-long saga, I found really interesting. Of course, there was that report Earlier in the week, that Kamara was possibly being traded or being shopped for a first-round pick. Uh, the Saints, you know, there was talk that, that Kamara wanted Christian McCaffrey money, um, that the Saints didn't want to make that offer. In the long run, he signs a five-year, $75 million extension, and about a little over $20 million of that is in the final year of the deal, and I think it's more for cap purposes and uh, just to make the story look a little nicer for Kamara and his agents than yeah. anything else. So in terms of the contract, that's one thing. But in terms of the trade talk, do you think that was actually genuine where if the Saints had been offered a first-round pick, they would have seriously considered trading Kamara? Or do you think that was more just a, a negotiating play? I feel like I feel like it was maybe a realistic threat that came out of, came out of the negotiations. I mean, it was right when the negotiations got really close that all of a mm-hmm. sudden – um Kamara misses practice for three or four days uh sources acknowledge the Saints uh were willing to listen to trade offers it's what I thought our whole offseason was going to be like this was so different than like the Dalvin Cook saga or even the Joe Mixon saga or the Derrick Henry saga this this was like a non-story until one week when (laughs) when there were like eight different stories so (laughs) the negotiations got really hot but I mean I think I think that was that was the key on, and, and, and the obvious answer is they, they ended up getting together on a deal that makes, uh, 
you know, that makes sense for both sides. Yeah, it, it was reported as, excuse me, $15 million per year. But uh, when you see the numbers, it was more in line over the first four years as close to what Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook got. Um, but uh, I, I think it's a realistic possibility that if, if they could not get a deal done that, you know, the Saints would love to play this year out and maybe would have considered trading him next year if they had to. They did it with Brandon Cooks. They did it with Jimmy Graham. Mm-hmm. But – they always wanted to find a way with him. I'm sure we're going to talk about their cap situation here. Um, they're slammed against – they're way over the cap. Uh, but this proves that they still think Kamara is a valuable guy because he's a runner and a receiver. Uh, the running back position leads to qualms about how much you want to invest in that position. But they, they think he's not just any running back. Because like I said, 81 catches in each of his first three seasons. He's been their number two receiver in each of those three seasons. Um, they see that added value. Yeah, I mean, a ton of, of catches. Like you said, it actually, uh, our colleague Mina Kimes was very upset when she found out that Alvin Kamara had 81 catches exactly in each of his first three seasons. <laughs> Just what are the odds that, that it would work out that way? It's so strange. But um, Well, what's interesting, I think, about that, too, is this is three seasons where they've been playing with a lead in almost every game he's ever been in, you know? Uh, if if for some reason these were like the old saints that we saw, you know, when, when breeze was thrown for 5,500 yards and they were in the two minute offense all the time and they were mm-hmm. playing catch up. I mean, he would be putting up a hundred catches a year. He really would be uh, if they were, uh, if they were playing catch up more, they just mm-hmm. never playing catch up. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, you know, he's playing in an offense where in the second half they're running the ball a lot of the time because they don't need to throw. So absolutely. I mean, a, a really valuable player, and I think, uh, you know, made sense for all parties involved to get a deal done. Now, they signed Kamara, and in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, they're the Saints, and they're very aggressive about, you know, using their short-term cap space and kind of pushing things into the future, but they're probably going to have to lose to Mario Davis, who has been a really talented player for them. <laughs> and then a couple of days later, maybe even the next day, you know, in the middle of... It was that was night. On, it was, it was actually, that night. The report came out during the game, but they... They signed both those guys on Saturday. Wow. Taking care of that weekend honeydew list right before the game, huh? Yeah, they signed, <laughs> they signed Davis to an extension as well. So first, talking about Davis, they've obviously added a lot of great players in recent years, but the initial decision to sign Davis in free agency several years ago, where does that rank in terms of the best moves they've made over the past couple of years? Well, it might be their best free agent signing since Breeze. Um, When you add in everything he's been on the field and as a leader, when Breeze went down with a thumb injury last year, Davis is the one who took over their pregame huddle. I mean, he's just, you know, an inspiration beloved in that locker room, and all that stuff counts too. But um, I I made this joke earlier. If if you, like, search my name and the expression, the Saints need their version of (laughs) – of Levante David and Thomas Davis. I probably wrote that like six years in a row. And, <laughs> you know, those guys they see in the NFC South every year. It was it was a position they just never filled year after year after year. And then and then they finally do it with a guy who's become the best maybe weak side linebacker in the league right now. Mm-hmm. His first team all pro last year. Um just a just an absolute home run for them. Um and you know what a difference it it, it makes. I mean there are some stats that I've dug up on him where his combination of sacks and QB hits plus interceptions and 
pass defenses, mm-hmm. uh, you know, plus total tackles uh, are just numbers that nobody else is posting in the league. I think since 2000, the only one who matched him in like all those categories was like one safety one time, you know, it's mm-hmm. like his versatility is really impressive. Yeah. I mean, a phenomenal player, a guy who I, you know, I was very skeptical of that signing because, you know, he had bounced I, around. I, I admittedly was too. I, I knew he would be their best linebacker right mm-hmm. away, but they had like four middle linebackers at the time. And he was a middle linebacker coming from the Jets. And, and yeah, don't, don't Google my initial reaction of that signing. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I want that erased from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, a guy who, you know, struggled with the Jets, got, got moved on to Cleveland, had a good year in Cleveland and then kind of went back to the Jets and had another good year with the Jets. And it was like, okay, well, you know, talented player, but is this really what the Saints need? And he's been just, absolutely phenomenal i mean a, a passer rating allowed of 75.8 a year ago uh, on 72 targets according to pro football reference that's incredible for a a linebacker now we have to get to it here before we finish up mike you know you have to talk about it we've talked about the saints cap situation in the past i've written about it i know you've written about it um it it did hinder them i think for a while uh during that seven and nine stretch but obviously you know they make some moves they have a great draft uh, some of their free agent signings turn out a lot better than the previous batch of free agent signings. They've been able to make it work. Next year, though, when you look at the uh, cap number for the 2021 Saints, they are $70 million over the projected cap. And I think that's before you account for the actual numbers on the Davis signing. It's before extending Marsh, uh, Marcus Lattimore, Marshall Lattimore, or Ryan Ramchek, who are both going to be in the final year of their rookie deals and their fifth year option. And it's before re-signing Jared Cook, Sheldon Rankins, Marcus Williams, Jameis Winston, Kiko Alonso, Trey Hendrickson, or Alex Anzalone, all of whom are projected to be unrestricted free agents. Now, I know the Saints have a long-term plan. They're not just signing guys and saying, ah, we'll worry about it later. But what are the chances you think that this year's team is likely to be more talented than next year's team because of those cap constraints? Well, I mean, look, that's, it's one of the reasons why they are Super Bowl or bust, all in, anything you want to say. I mean, Drew Brees may retire after the season, which would provide a tiny bit of cap relief, but, but not a ton because of all the dead money left on his contract. But, yeah, plus the idea that, I mean, you'd, ha- you'd have to imagine there will be at some point a player they cannot uh, re-sign, even though I know they're going to try with Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchak. So, um, or, or, you know, will they be able to spend money on a quarterback if, if Breeze does retire? Um, so here's the thing that we've been talking about this cap situation for years. And, and I've always sort of not necessarily defended it, but understood it. And, and, and a lot of other people just <clears throat> from the outside will look and be like, oh, well, this is going to blow up in their face at, at some time. And I, I never thought it would blow up in their face because the cap continued to go up 10 million every year. And actually they were, they were pretty much out of it. They were out of the woods, so to speak, um, even heading into this year. And, and it looked like, man, they're going to, they're going to get away with it. This is brilliant. Um, everybody should have been managing the cap this way. Um, but now instead of the cap moving up to like 210, 212 million next year, it might drop to 175 million. So we'll never know if, <laughs> naturally they they you know they would have gotten themselves into trouble but this unforeseen cap drop is is really you know it's the one one thing that uh, they were playing with fire and now this is uh, this is what's going to hurt them something they never could have anticipated uh, i mean that's a, such a huge difference it might be a 30 million dollar difference in in what they expected the cap to be next year and what it will be so uh, but look it has never 
stop them from keeping what they consider their core players. Mm -hmm. There's never been a story coming out of New Orleans. Because of their cap situation, they've cut these four starters. They kept uh, Teron Armstead. They kept Cameron Jordan twice. They kept Michael Thomas. They've now kept Alvin Kamara and uh, um, Demario Davis. And, and, you know, they, they have never let the cap scare them into any – uh, in any decision, and they continue to be active in adding free agents too. I mean, adding Demario Davis in the first place, Emmanuel mm-hmm. Sanders, and Malcolm Jacobs this year. They just tried to sign Jadevian and Clowney, so yeah. they have never st- they've never allowed the cap to stop them from being aggressive. And if it finally happens next year, I guess I'll believe it when I see it. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. And you know, I wonder. The only one that comes to mind for me is maybe influenced by the cap would be the Jimmy Graham trade. But even then, like, you could make a case that it was a smart move. I mean, they had, you know, they were able to get Max Unger, who was a key player for them at a position they had, you know, struggled to fill um, and, and certainly upgraded their offensive line, got a first-round pick in the process, and, you know, it turned out to be a fantastic trade for them in the long run. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the number's ugly, but we'll see what they do. They've made it work in the past, and I think, you know, they'll find a way to make it work again. So, Mike, uh, as we finish up here, you mentioned the Dejavian Clowney thing, you know, obviously thinking about adding maybe a pass rusher. I, I never want to rule anything out for the Saints. They were not able to get the Clowney thing to be legal enough to get it to work. But in terms of this roster, I mean, they do still have five and a half million dollars in cap space to work with, uh, according to Track. Do you think they'll make any other moves over the next few weeks? I, I think only if an injury creeps up or, uh, you know, a need creeps up uh, that they don't have right now. I mean, the, the clowny thing notwithstanding, they haven't, you know, gone outside a different defensive end. I think they just had a particular interest in, in that individual player. But as that proved, they believe they can win the Super Bowl right now. This is their window to win the Super Bowl, and they're not going to let anything stop them from doing it. So if Michael Thomas was – uh, suffering a more severe injury, then yeah, they would be the team that would go out and, <laughs> and make the trade for, for the Pro Bowl receiver that was available, and they'd figure out the math later because they they absolutely want to uh, capitalize on their opportunity this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they they've done it before. I wouldn't put it past them doing it again. Well, Mike, it's always a pleasure to have you on. The, the most informed person I think when it comes to the New Orleans Saints. If people want to check out more of your Saints coverage, where can they do that? Yeah, the uh, Saints page dedicated uh, um, – uh, we have one dedicated to every team with our NFL Nation reporters on ESPN, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Triplett. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much. All right, thanks so much to my guest, Mike Triplett. We have Brooke Pryor coming on in a second to talk about the Steelers. But first – and now here's Brooke Pryor. And all right, joining us now on the show – as promised, talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and their performance in week one. What's going on with all things Pittsburgh? Have ESPN reporter Brooke Pryor. Brooke, how are you? I'm great. If I've been promised, I feel like I've really got to deliver now. Like, you I too. <laughs> I feel like I have, I have, uh, the bar has been set really high. Let me be clear. I, I expect an excellent performance. I expect uh, detailed insight into the future of the Pittsburgh Steelers to an extent that even the Pittsburgh Steelers could not answer if they were answering honestly. There's a lot to talk about, I feel like, after week one with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It was an interesting game against the Giants on Monday night. Some plays, they looked awesome. Some plays... Not so much, uh, but obviously got the victory. And I guess the biggest question coming out of that game 
or heading into the game, I should say, was how Ben Roethlisberger would look in his return from surgery. So, Brooke, let's start there. What did you think of Ben Roethlisberger's performance? How do you think he looked physically uh, in his return from surgery? I mean, look, his elbow looked really good. It, like, it, to me, any concern I had about Ben Roethlisberger coming back was kind of everything but the elbow. Um, I felt pretty confident just seeing him in practice, watching this Bigger Than Ben documentary that's been produced, like, by his agents and, and friends. Like, the elbow looks fine. To me, the bigger concern is everything else about having a 38-year-old quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, he came back in good shape. I know that was a concern, uh, like, December of last year that, oh, wow, he's really put on the pounds. How will he ever get back into football shape? He looks fine. He does not look like an offensive lineman. He looks like a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he said yesterday, when we talked with him, he said, well, Tuesday I woke up, I felt like I'd been in a train wreck. Today, a car wreck. Hopefully tomorrow it just feels like I've fallen off a bike. <laughs> um, but he said the elbow feels great. So other than, you know, the elbow concerns, you know, being worried if that's going to rebound, like the biggest thing to me is just – his overall durability. And to me, the question about the elbow being fine, check, we know it's fine, but now can the rest of him last this season, especially given the injury concerns we're already seeing on the offensive line? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, realistically, this is not a guy who was Lamar Jackson uh, when he was healthy a couple years ago. He is someone who's going to drop back, stay in the pocket, uh, take hits occasionally as he did on Monday, he's going to lumber for a first down and we're all going to make fun of how slow he looked on Twitter. Even though (laughs) you look at the next gen stats, he was running pretty fast. If I'm not mistaken, I I mean, it's, you know, it's not like he's 25 years old. I mean, this is a guy who's in his late thirties, even if he hadn't had surgery, I I think we would all be sitting here saying, okay, well, he's kind of holding on at this point. You know, he's not going to be looking like he's in his prime. I mean, so in, in terms of, how he looked were you surprised or did it kind of match what your expectations were heading into the game no I mean it it matched what my expectations were I think that the the moment that I had the most concern so because of our travel schedule and and COVID and everything I was watching from home and covering Mm -hmm. it from home so I can't see the sidelines in between series and, and while the Steelers are on defense but some of the reporters there started tweeting oh, no, Ben has something on his elbow. Oh, oh, my gosh, Mason Rudolph is warming up with his helmet on. He's throwing passes to Juju on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Like this, There was no indication in the previous drive. This was right before the, the two-minute drive to, that they scored right before halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, at this point, I can't see what's on his elbow, but the reports coming out of MetLife are kind of concerning, um, especially because I didn't see a play, you know, where – he grabbed his elbow or anything like you could tell in the Seattle game before he went out at halftime that something was off. He was kind of touching his elbow after, mm-hmm. after every drive. We hadn't seen that. Um, what the reporters at MetLife failed to mention is that Mason Rudolph warms up with his helmet on in between every drive. He <laughs> is such a football nerd. He might sleep with his helmet on. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that, that was a moment of like, Oh my God, is everything okay? Mm-hmm. Turns out the elbow sleeve was just to keep it warm. It was kind of modified off a jacket. Everything is fine with the elbow. And it looked like, you know, we'd heard 
all off season from, from Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin, like we might see a better Ben. We might see a Ben that we haven't seen in a couple of years because he's playing pain free and his elbow. And I think we saw that we saw um, some of these longer passes that 28 yard completion to chase Claypool was mm. the most improbable completion according to next gen stats of all the games mm. in week one. I mean, for him to make a throw like that, he had a lot of, you know, short passes, but he, Throwing-wise, looked like the dynamic quarterback I expected him to be. And seeing him in practice and, and in training camp, he had been making those throws. So that, to me, that all checked out. I think it was just a little surprising how much stiffer he looked in the pocket. Um, someone called him an iron deer, which that might be a little extreme. But to me, that, that was the most like, oh, yeah, that's right. This guy is 38 years old. I guess we should not expect him to be – the super mobile quarterbacks that we're starting to see now. He's very much an, an old guard, but it, it, it works for Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. It works for this offense. Like I said, as long as that offensive line can hold up, then they're going to be good this year. Their, their offense is going to look so much better than it did with Duck and Mason back there. Mm-hmm. So just a classic case of cold elbow on the sidelines for Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, man. You, you hate when your elbows get cold. It's just, you get older. Just you start, you, your, your extremities start going. You just feel, get that cold elbow going. Um, you mentioned. I, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> just, I, I, I am just, the thing that, that cracks me up the most is he's like, look, I've got to keep my elbow warm, but I don't want to commit to the full coat. Like I, I don't want to get too hot on the sideline, but I also don't want to get too cold. So I'm just going to cut the sleeve off a jacket, which just, I, is that not why they make the cape jackets that you can yeah. just kind of drape so you don't have to commit to the full zip? I just, I need to know more details about how this elbow sleeve came together and, and, and how they like cut the sleeve off the jacket. Is there just like, a one-arm jacket laying around somewhere at Heinz Field. I just, I, I have a lot of questions. Um, I'm just imagining this now. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned the offensive line injuries, so let's get to that as well. So, David DeCastro, Star Steelers guard, already missed Week One with an injury. His replacement was uh, Stephen Wisniewski, who came over from the Chiefs. He injured his pec in this game. Looked like it might be a serious injury. Now it seems like. And certainly you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems like that was not as serious of an injury, but there was a serious injury at right tackle. Zach Banner suffered a season-ending knee injury. He was in a competition in camp with uh, Chukwuma Okorafor, and they were competing for the right tackle spot. Banner won. It seemed like it went down to the wire. So, Brooke, I want to ask you, is in terms of that right tackle spot, we'll start there. Do you think there's likely to be a significant drop-off between Banner and a core four now that uh, the latter is taking over as the starting right tackle? You know, I think it's a good sign for the, for the Steelers that this competition went so went all the way through camp and then midway through the first week of regular of regular season week one practice. That's Mm -hmm. when Tomlin declared that Banner was the winner. So to me, it's a good thing that Chooks was pushing Zach Banner so much. And we talked to TJ Watt. He was the primary guy going up against the two uh, in camp. And he said that they were both really good. They just have different styles of playing. Um, I believe he mentioned Chooks maybe does, does some more hand fighting and is maybe more technical there. Um, Banner's just a really strong guy. Um, and I feel awful for Zach Banner. I mean, this is a guy who last year he was very much a cult hero with the, you know, 72 is eligible. He, 
very much became just a beloved figure for Steelers fans, a big personality in the locker room. And then he worked really hard in the offseason to transform his body, dropped a ton of weight, eating healthier. And the thing that just like tugs at your heartstrings is the day before cuts, we talked to him for the first time all offseason. And he's like, look, I'm so happy this weekend that no matter what happens, no matter if I win the right tackle job or I don't get it, like, don't get me wrong. I want to be a starter, but this is the first cut weekend. I haven't been sitting in a hotel waiting to get a phone call of whether or not I still have a job. And for him to go from that to be named starting right tackle, he had a decent game. I think, you know, he was not, he was not as strong, I think, as you would like him to be. But some of that's growing pain. Some of that is the fact you didn't have a preseason. Right. Um, and he's also working with Wisniewski next to him instead of DeCastro. So mm-hmm. you have – Wisniewski has plenty of experience in his own right. He has two Super Bowls, but he's not experienced in the Steelers system and working with those other guys. But I thought Banner had a lot of promise. And so for it to end this way, fourth quarter, you know, just just sucks. Like there's no way around it. But – I think that Okorafor is going to be fine in that spot, but again, now you're going to have to go through these growing pains all over again. So I think he got nine snaps, eight snaps, maybe um, filling in for Banner in the fourth quarter. And so now you're going to have to break him in all over again. And now there's a huge question at right guard, which, you know, those two obviously play off of each other. And now there's, you know, who's, who's going to fill in next to him. So there's just, I think way more flux than you would like there to be on the offensive line going into week two. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was a team that had pretty good offensive line depth heading into the season. And then one week in, it seems to have mostly vanished. Obviously not ideal. We also saw another player get injured uh, for the Steelers in James Conner, who went down with an ankle injury. Benny Stelk comes in. He racks up 113 rushing yards in his absence. I mean, there was speculation during camp that Connor was kind of ticketed for a workhorse role, that he was going to be the primary back in the way that he was when he was healthy in 2018. But regardless of, well, first I want to ask you, what do you think about Connor's injury and what are his chances of returning quickly? And then on top of that, do you think Stell did enough in week one or could do enough in Connor's absence to earn a more meaningful share of the running back snaps when Connor does return? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. We don't know exactly which play Monday night Connor got hurt. But mm-hmm. at no point watching him from he was the he was the the offensive player featured primarily in that first series. And it did not look good. They did not they didn't go anywhere. Um to me, I was not really high on James Connor even going into the season. I know that he was great in 2018 when he had to take over for Le'Veon Bell mm-hmm. during that holdout. But Connor is not showing me enough to be a, the di- the a dynamic workhorse cowbell back. He's just mm-hmm. he's not doing it. Um, and maybe that's a product of the offensive line. But to me, the big thing was he you know that everybody kept saying on the team, hey, the run game has to be better this year, and it's going to get better because we have been back. It's going to be more balanced. They can't sell out on on stopping the run because they have to respect the throw. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense to me. Completely get it. But in practice, Monday night, we didn't see that. We didn't see Connor being able to, to break off these long runs or even pick up yards after tackle. He just – it felt very stagnant. And then he gets hurt. And, of course, you know, again, I don't know when the, when the ankle injury happened. It's possible 
that that was affecting him, you know, more in the first quarter and early second quarter. He came out, I think, with 13 minutes left in the second quarter. But I asked Tomlin, I said, was this an injury that he sustained in practice? Like, did he go into the game already having this kind of hampering him? And he said, no, he was healthy going into the game. Um, so that, that to me is a red flag. Um, Benny Snell comes in and he looked really good. I mean, I think this was his first hundred yard game. Uh, if not his first, then his second, he hasn't, um, been featured a ton, but stepped up big time when Connor was hurt last year. And I just think that he is a much better back for this offense. Um, he's lost weight. He looks much more toned, much leaner. He's Mm -hmm. faster. Um, I think that he takes the best qualities that you like in James Connor, that he's not afraid of contact, that he's, you know, a a really strong guy. He -hmm. takes that and then just adds this other element of speed and elusiveness um, that that Connor just doesn't have right now. And and again, maybe that's related to the ankle injury. Um, But I just, I think that Snell is a much more reliable back at this point. Mm -hmm. And if James Connor is out this week, to me, that is not nearly as much of a big deal as the offensive line having question marks. Um, he didn't practice yesterday. Uh, Snell did. There was, you know, he didn't come out of the game with any injuries or anything. But I, I would feel much better about the running back situation when you have a room, a healthy room of mm-hmm. Benny Snell, Jalen Samuels, and Anthony McFarland, who was inactive last week. But I don't think that that he's going to be inactive again this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, makes absolute sense. In terms of the receiving game, I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster had a big game with two touchdowns, obviously, after a disappointing 2019 season. Steelers are hoping that uh, Juju has a bigger campaign. But it was actually Deontay Johnson who led the team in targets with 10. And now they're both, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, at least they think they missed practice yesterday, which maybe could be just a short day. But in terms of their health anything to worry about and then in terms of the receiving usage for this team and the receiving workload for this team would you be surprised if Johnson was the most frequently used receiver in the way he was in week one or do you think it's going to fluctuate from week to week and matchup to matchup you know I would not be surprised if Deontay becomes the the number one receiver in terms of target I think that Juju is a better receiver when he's the number two. And that doesn't mean that he's less talented than Deontay Johnson or, or, you know, won't have as many touchdowns or anything, but his best season was when he was the number two to Antonio Brown's one, you know, he's just a really good, I think, complimentary wide receiver. And again, not a knock on his talent because he had two touchdowns last week. Um, And I think he was targeted six times and caught all six passes. He can be a really good receiver, but he's better when he's able to, to not be blanketed by, by the defense. When, when he was completely covered up last season as the team's number one target, he just couldn't get anything going. He couldn't shake himself free. It just, and, and you could see him getting more and more dejected and frustrated. I think for the Steelers, the best thing for Juju is to further develop Deontay Johnson and make him just a big receiving threat. He's, to me, more explosive. He's faster than Juju. Um, there are just elements of his game that, that Juju doesn't have, and I think that's why the Steelers did target him so frequently. But, man, he had a really shaky outing, I think, even starting from the first time he was involved when he dropped the punt. It's not great. And you have to think yeah. that that really shakes a guy. Week one, you know, you've gotten all this buzz in the preseason, you know, fantasy sleeper pick, all this stuff, and then you muff your first punt. And, mm-hmm. like, yikes, that's – that's not how you want to start that game. And um, 
I just I think that they're going to continue to work with him. Ben's shown a really strong connection with him in camp um, and, and in practice. Same thing with Juju. But I think that having those two guys is going to be huge for this receiving core. And then you add in a guy like James Conner, or James Conner, James Washington. Got a lot of Jameses um, on the offense. <laughs> James Washington, I mean, Ben's out here hunting with the guy uh, in the offseason, which was hilarious. I don't know if you saw the picture of Ben's beard and camo crocs with socks just an all in all a great look um but you see ben making the making an effort to build this relationship with his receivers um which is huge obviously on the field but like we've gone over he's an older quarterback i believe this receiving group is the youngest in the nfl he needs to be able to have this relationship and this connection with him that isn't like a father son or you know, something like that where he's clearly, you know, so much older than them and just and just out of touch. Like, I think he's really making an effort with these guys. I mean, I was gotten to a, a hole of Juju's TikToks the other day, um, as you do. And he's, you know, on TikTok in Ben's house uh, and his pool hanging out. Like, look at, look at my best friend's house. Like, that's what you want to see Ben having with these mm-hmm. receivers, especially a guy like Juju, to keep him involved to keep him excited, to keep him happy. Um, and then it just, it makes the whole offense just look and run so much smoother. Yeah, of course. I mean, and I think that makes total sense. I mean, Juju really had a, a really frustrating 2019. And for a guy whose contract is coming up, don't know if he's going to get re-signed. I mean, you know, he even if he's not getting, you know, an enormous, enormous target share, it does make sense for him to be in a situation where he can put up big numbers you know, even if it is only six or seven targets a game, obviously he's not going to score two touchdowns a week. But I mean, if he has a 12, 14 touchdown season, it's going to look pretty good for him, regardless of whether he's getting six targets a game or 10 targets a game. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. In terms of the defense, we'll finish up here. I mean, obviously it was a pretty good game, all things considered. A couple of Giants big plays or, you know, a dry, long drive ending in an interception. Um, obviously the interception part is great. Um, you know, they limited Saquon Barkley to six yards and 15 carries. Obviously, that was, I think, the most impressive part of their performance. There's a lot of big names in this defense to go around. TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, Mika Fitzpatrick. But is there someone, like a breakout guy or someone you feel like people aren't talking enough about heading into this season? And, you know, whether they impressed you in week one or not, someone who you think is going to make a difference as the season goes on, who's not sort of, you know, high up on that list of names for the Steelers defense? Does does Bud Dupree count? Because like he's, yeah, sure. When you list off all the when you list off all the guys on the defense, they have so many names that the fact Bud Dupree is like fifth or sixth Mm -hmm. on when you think of talented guys on this defense that he's bumped so far down just shows you the insane depth that that unit has. He had such a big game on Monday. I think he really affected uh, the run game. He got after the quarterback. Like to me, he is worth every penny of, I think, the $15 million that the Steelers are paying him on the franchise tag. And he, you know, you really want to be able to extend him beyond this season to work out a long-term deal. But the Steelers are going to be in a huge cap crunch, uh, especially if it drops to $175 million. Um, they are going to be in a lot of trouble between Ben's salary and they just gave Cam Hayward an extension. They've still got to pay T.J. Watt. But you, to me, you have to find a way to keep Bud Dupree on this team because he not only is he good himself, 
he makes TJ Watt better. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, this having both outside linebackers that talented, you can't load up and defend one side because the other side's going to come get you, you know? Mm-hmm. It, I just think that Bud, it's crazy to say that he's an unheralded player, but he had a breakout season last year. And after Monday night, I think he's picked up right where he left off. I mean, he in the off season, he was doing workouts where he was like hanging on a monkey bar or something, like hanging from, you know, just suspended up above, holding on and having somebody hit him in the stomach with a medicine ball to like work on his core strength, which is just the most wild in gym workout. You, know, you see guys like pulling trucks and stuff, but he's like willingly getting hit with a medicine ball. That's just insane to me. It also just shows how strong he is. Yes. He said, yeah, like that's, that's the workout to make my core stronger. Cool. I do sit up. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not going to get beat with a medicine ball. I'm good without that. But he is just such a dynamic player and such an important piece of this defense that mm-hmm. I think he can be the difference um, in, in, me, in, in elevating this entire team. Um, he was good last year. He was a big part in keeping it eight and eight uh, when the offense did not have uh, much of an offensive season to write home about. And right. I think that he's going to continue to do that this year. Awesome. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can people check out more of your coverage of the Steelers? They can find it on ESPN.com under the Steelers tab and also on my Twitter at BE Pryor. Awesome. Well, Brooke, thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm glad now I, I can wear my official Barn- Bill Barnwell show hat even more proudly as, as a guest now. <laughs> I, I, think, I think there's like a, a, a curve where if you're on uh, a couple times, you like the hat, you're excited about the hat. And then if you're on, on a regular basis, you kind of like, I don't want to wear this. I don't want people to recognize me from the show with this hat on. So uh, it's, it's all about finding a balance with the Bill Barnwell show hat. But uh, as a guest, you are certainly uh, even more entitled to have one. Thank goodness. All right, thanks so much again to my guest, Mike Triplett, who covers the New Orleans Saints for us at ESPN, and Brooke Pryor, who covers the Pittsburgh Steelers. We have more stuff coming next week. Not sure if we'll do a recap show or a preview show. Depends on the news. Obviously, a lot of news broke this week that I wanted to talk about some of the injury issues around the league. But sure, we'll have plenty to discuss. Week one was exciting. Hope you guys enjoy week two. We'll be back next week. So thanks so much for listening.